Hello, Texans. Welcome to the program. Let's get right into it here and into the division, which was won by the Jacksonville Jaguars last year. We all know that. And not too many people picked them to win it prior to the 2022 campaign. Did anybody? Really? Somebody must have. But it was all Titans, Colts, and then the thought was the Jags and Texans would struggle. Well, the Jaguars struggled early, but they surged in the second half of the season, and they won the division. They had a game here that they prevailed in, breaking a long losing streak against the Houston Texans. And we all know what happened. Final day of the regular season when they knocked off the Tennessee Titans. They needed every bit of 60 minutes to do that. A late fumble by the Titans returned for a TD, sealed the victory for the Jags, fell behind in the playoff game big, but they roared back to defeat the L.A. Chargers and get a postseason victory as well before falling at Kansas City. That's their history, but it applies because who's going to be the upset team in the AFC South this year if there is one? No better person to talk to about this than Frank Frangi, voice of the Jaguars. And among the questions I'll ask Frank, who's the biggest threat to the Jaguars in his opinion as far as preventing them to repeat? Is it the Colts? Is it the Titans? Is it the Texans? What about the rest of the landscape? Remember, the Jaguars have to play the first-place schedule. That only affects two games, but it's significant because it's the Chiefs and the Bills. But one significant thing about that Bills game is they get to play it in London. It's a Bills home game, but we all know home away from home for the Jaguars. They are used to going there. So that's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. But let's catch up with them. The voice of the Jacksonville Jaguars, Frank Frangi. Voice of the defending AFC South champions, the Jacksonville Jaguars, Frank Frangi. I had to remind everyone, Frank, who won the AFC South last year. I'm just kidding. How you doing, my friend? <laughs> We don't do we don't win it very often around here, Mark. So uh, we're going to hold on to that for a while. But good to be with you. How's everything? Well, paint it's great and paint the picture for me. The level of enthusiasm, excitement, energy around the Jaguars in North Florida right now, heading into the campaign. It's got to be crazy. In the 29 years we've had a team here, Mark, I don't think we've ever had this kind of off-season enthusiasm. We've been close after winning the division in 17. There was enthusiasm in, in, in the, the offseason of 18, and then the team started 3-1 and one and beat the Patriots here. So, uh, it, but it wasn't like this. I think everybody believes this is sustainable. I think maybe in the very early going we thought that in the late 90s, you know, when the team was good out of the gate. But this feels like it's sustainable. Now, look, everybody knows the team started 3-7 and seven last year and had to get on a run and won some dramatic games at the end of the season and stayed healthy. So a lot of things went right. But I think there's a belief that most of these guys are back, uh, that the sky's the limit for Trevor Lawrence, who's as good a kid as he is, a, a wonderful player. Doug Peterson's already got a, a Super Bowl ring. He knows what he's doing. So, yeah, I, I would say there's a, a palpable level of excitement around town. Right? All right, the, Frank. The kind really, Mark, we haven't had in a long time. Well, tell me about Trevor Lawrence because, obviously, he's awesome. But there's also, okay, you came back in the playoff game, but what about the first half and – what about the first half of the season? I know he's a young quarterback, so a lot of people assume, well, he's grown up now. It's all done. He's the finished product. What does he still need to work on, in your opinion, and where is he at right now heading into year three? Yeah, that's a great question, and I don't know that you're ever – I don't know that Patrick Mahomes is a finished product. I don't know that Justin Herbert or, or Josh Allen are finished product. We've been around this league a long time, Mark, so I don't know that anybody is there. But it was an interesting season. He, he, he was all everything forever. He's a great kid. He's a humble kid. But he struggled his first year, uh, threw a bunch of interceptions, and struggled to start last year. I think there was, a, there was a seminal moment last year, Mark, in London against Denver 
Doug, is, Doug Peterson had coached Trevor. Don't do what the play calls for. If the play's not there, throw it out of bounds and it lived to, for the next play. There was a moment in Denver where the first read wasn't there. There wasn't a second or third progression in the play. The, the first read's not there near the end zone. Throw it out of the back of the end zone and it's second and goal from the one. Trevor tried to stick it in there against Denver. It got picked off in the end zone. Uh, that was kind of the moment, Mark, early in the season. He knew, I think he, that's probably the thing, the time Trevor would tell you that he learned you have to do what the coach calls for no matter how many things you've gotten away with because of your big arm and your great athletic ability before the NFL doesn't work like that here. He was a different quarterback from that moment forward. And yeah, there were, there were some blemishes. He threw a bunch of interceptions in the first half of that Chargers game. But, but I think he's, I think the, the more he plays, the more he understands defenses, the game really slowed down for him. Now look, Calvin Ridley comes in this year who could be a really good player here. So I don't think there's one thing, I think it's learning the speed of the game, adjusting to it, and I think we saw a lot of that last year. Frank and Frank Rangi joins us, voice of the Jacksonville Jaguars. If there's one player who's an impact player in the AFC South, I think not enough people are talking about, it's Travis Etienne, the running back for the Jaguars. This guy was awesome. He made Robinson so-called expendable, and I'm eager to see, if I'm a Jags fan, what he does in year three after, obviously, the slow start and everything. But, man, did he look good as the season went on last year. He really did, Mark, and he's explosive. I think the one thing that Travis Etienne gives them is explosiveness. They haven't had that. James Robinson was a wonderful player. He wasn't explosive. They haven't had a truly explosive running back since Marty Stone threw and then Fred Taylor before him. And they have that now in Travis Etienne. He he can go from zero to 60 in a hurry, man. He can turn a little hole into a 60-yard run in a hurry. They haven't had that around here. So I think he's going to have a big year. The other thing, too, is they got him some help. He was really an every-down back last year. It might have carried it too much for an early guy. He got a lot of work last year. They brought in Dearness Johnson in the free agent period. And then they drafted Tank Bigsby, Mark, this big physical downhill runner out of Auburn. They haven't had a downhill runner. So I think uh, I'm guessing third and short is probably Bigsby. Now, look, he's a rookie. We haven't seen him yet, but that'd be my guess. I think that's probably the plan. And I think that saves some wear and tear on Travis. But I agree with you. Travis Etienne is an explosive player, man, and that and that's a big dynamic and a big part of this offense. All right, one more on the Jaguars before we get to the rest of the division, Frank. The defense, give me a little quote here on how you think this defense will improve in 2023 for Jacksonville. Well, that's the big question now. I mean, they didn't rush the passer very well, and, that, and, they, and they didn't bring in any additional pass rushers. They lost Arden Key to Tennessee, who was one of their better pass rushers. So that's the question. Uh, in Trayvon Walker's second year, in Josh Allen's contract year, those are the two outside linebackers. Can they be very good? If they are very good together, the Jags are going to be a really good team. But the question is pass rush. They, their interior defensively is very good. Their linebacker play, Foye Luakon, maybe the best tackler in the league. The two young linebackers, Amuma and Lloyd, are good players. Uh, the back end's okay. It's, it's, it's going to be better. The safeties are, are very good. Uh, Tyson Campbell might be a very good cornerback. I think he's going to be one of the good ones in the league, physical, fast. they got to find a, fa- a pass rush, and I think everybody knows that. If you, if you ask one, what is the one Achilles heel that the Jaguars bring into this 2023 season, Mark, I think it's pass rush. They've got to find a way to affect the passer, and I don't think anybody's sure where that's going to come from. Hopefully Trayvon Walker and Josh Allen have big years, and if they do, that's where it'll come from. 
All right, Frank, the division. You watch the Gators all the time. So tell me about what Anthony Richardson is going to mean to the Indianapolis Colts. I know that the owner wants to play him right away. Is he going to play right away, in your opinion? How do you think he fits in and the difference he makes there? I think he's going to start from day one. I told Matt Taylor that the play-by-play voice, our buddy in Indianapolis, Mark. I think he's going to start right out of the gate. Gardner Minshew's there, and he's a and he's a good placeholder. We know Gardner too now. We know both of them around here uh, pretty well because Gardner was here with the Jags. Anthony, good Anthony is magnificent. Good Anthony is Cam Newton. He's got a big arm as big as anybody's in the league. He's four three, a legitimate four three four four guy. He's athletic. He's tough. He's a great teammate. Uh, he's a good kid. He's a leader. Um, there's so much good about him and good Anthony is all that because of the software as well as the hardware. The downside is he was erratic. He was erratic around here. He would, this is a guy that would make great throws when you thought, how in the world did he stick that in there? And then he'd miss an open guy. I think the biggest growth area for Anthony Richardson, Mark, is you got to make in the NFL, you got to make the easy throws. You got to make a hundred percent of the easy throws. And that's what we'll have to see whether he does or not. If he's, if good Anthony becomes consistent, Anthony, uh, he'll be one of the better quarterbacks in the league, and he'll justify that that top four draft pick. He really will, but we'll have to see. I do think he'll play right out of the gate. I, I would be. I don't think just like C.J. Stroud at your place. I don't think you draft a guy in the top four or five and to not play in today's NFL. There's usually a reason why that guy doesn't play early. I think Anthony Richardson will be their quarterback out of the gate. Voice of the Jaguars, Frank Frangie, joining us. So from the top perch there, Frank, who's the biggest threat to the Jaguars in the division? This year, never mind down the line, but yeah. this particular season, who is it? Well, that's yeah, and I hear you because those are two different questions, aren't they? And I agree with you. If it's this year, it's still the Tennessee Titans. Uh, I the, the Titans. There was some question: Do they blow it up, or do they do they make one more run at it? Uh, I had that quite, that conversation with Mike Keith, our other buddy in the in the division, uh, the play by play guy there, Mark, who we all know well. Um, they didn't blow it up. They kept Derrick Henry. Uh, Jeffrey Simmons might be the, as good a defensive tackler as in the league, other than maybe Aaron Donald. They're tough defensively. I think Mar- Mike Vrabel's a really good coach. I never count out the Titans. They won the division the two years before the Jags won it this past year. I think they have a toughness about them. Uh, I'm interested in the quarterback situation. Uh, Mike seems to think it's going to be Ryan Tannehill this year, all this year, um, and that, that Will Levis or Malik Willis or whoever else might push for the job down the road. But he seems to think it's going to be Tannehill this year. I think. I think this season, the team for the Jaguars, the team to beat in the division, is the Tennessee Titans. That may change with the young quarterback in Houston and Indianapolis as we move forward. But for now, I think it's the Titans. What about the Jags playing these first-place teams? Chiefs, Bills, that changes the dynamic of the schedule. You know, you know what's interesting about that? We've talked a lot about schedule. When you have the first place, when you win the division, and you have a first-place schedule, you play the first-place teams. We all know how the, the formula works. This is a tough year to do that because those first-place teams, the Bengals and the Bills and the Chiefs, are so dang good. You know, So not only do you get them, but you get them when, in years where they're very, very – not that the first-place teams are always pretty good, but this year they're really good. That, that's three teams that could have won the Super Bowl. One of them did, and that's two others that could have won the Super Bowl. So they're really good. The, the upside of that, the schedule is you get the NFC South, Mark, which, which we all get, which isn't great. Yeah. I'm not sure who wins that, but I guess the Saints might be the best team, but the Bucks are rebuilding. They don't know what they're doing at quarterback. Maybe maybe Baker Mayfield. Obviously, uh, the Panthers are playing a rookie quarterback, we think. The, the Falcons are young. So the fact that you get the NFC South helps. And right now, two of the teams you play in our division 
or playing young quarterbacks. I, again, I, I, I like what you've got going on there in Houston. I really do. I think with all those draft picks, the way they drafted, you got two of the best players in the draft uh, this year. I like where I think Houston's headed. I really do. I'm not saying it to come on with you. I really believe that. Uh, same with Indianapolis. But for now, Indianapolis is young. Houston's young. You play them twice. And you've got you play four teams in the in the NFC South that aren't great. So if you get beyond those first place teams, I don't think the schedule's quite as difficult. It'll be interesting to see the way that plays out. One more for you, Frank. I know you host the daily sports talk show, North Florida, Jacksonville, Duval County. It's sort of not sort of, it's hallowed PGA ground. How much live talk versus the PGA do you get there? This whole issue going on in professional golf. How much of that do you get? Tons of it, Mark. Obviously, the tour is based here. And look, and you know this, you know our market well. We have one NFL team. We don't have an NBA team. We don't have a baseball team. We don't have a hockey team. Uh, The Gators are the nearest college team, and they've been kind of down for a while. The reality is, so beyond the NFL, we probably talk as much tour golf because it's based here as anything. And there's been all kind of talk. And, and obviously it ramped back up yesterday, didn't it, with the congressional hearing. So, yeah, we talk a lot about I don't know what to make of it, Mark. I, 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 don't, I think we're going to see it's going to be really crazy next year. Who's coming back? The proposal we learned about yesterday that, that all the live golfers that the proposal goes through come back with impunity, that the players that didn't leave uh, get, uh, get remunerated monetarily. It's a mess. And I'll, I'm very interested to see where it lands. But my goodness, we talk about it all the time around here, I can assure you. Frank, thanks so much for the time, as always. And I know we're going to catch up soon. Best of luck with the rest of the offseason. Okay, Mark, same to you. Good to be on. Thanks, buddy. Oh, I love catching up with Frank Frangie. I could do a lot of shows with that man. And I wouldn't mind talking about some golf from time to time. We don't really do that on Texans Radio. One little take here, though, about this live golf thing. And it reminds me of when everyone was talking about the BCS. Remember the BCS and all the controversy it stirred up? And one of the so-called positives about the BCS was, well, at least everybody talks about college football a lot. But they were really against what the BCS was giving them. And it reminds me of this live golf thing in a way because everybody's talking about golf, or a lot of people are. Is it really a positive, though, when you don't have it all figured out? And I know they're in the process of trying to figure it all out. Anyway, Frank, along with Mike Keith of the Titans, Matt Taylor of the Colts, we ran that Voices of the AFC South podcast, which is up on HoustonTexans.com, by the way, in the Texans app. We ran that on 4th of July. I might rerun that show on Friday because it is fun stuff. And we talk about the division and what could be more important than winning your division first and then moving on to the next level. Talk to the Chiefs about that. They do take pride in winning that AFC West. Don't you misunderstand that. They absolutely do. They know that that comes first before you do anything else because you want to play at home at the very least, and preferably you'd like to have that bye, that top of the seven teams making the postseason in your conference so you get the bye. Only one bye per conference now, which is kind of weird, but we don't have to get into all of that right now. Coming up next... Drew Doherty on a J.J. Watt development. Watt on a box of cereal. Not literally, but his photo along with his brother and what it all means. And we'll dive into that a little bit. And we'll do the In the Lab segment, which we always do on Wednesdays. And this one's different from last week's show, which was all about the movies and football movies and what football characters would you want on the Texans and 
That's the make-believe stuff. But they'll dive into some Andre Johnson material and get into a football related to baseball because of the All-Star game. And I don't know how they're going to spin this, but they'll do it. They always do. It's coming up here on Texans Radio. Back at it on Texans Radio, Mark Vandermeer, joined now by Drew Doherty, who's going to join us in the third segment as well in an in-the-lab clip, a long clip, with Drew and Johnny Harris. But, Drew, good afternoon, good evening. Good afternoon to you. It was fun listening to you, John, and Chester Pitts, my good pal. That was fun. Out at the uh, BMW last night. Y'all sounded sounded like y'all were having a good time. I say good afternoon, even though it's after 6, because it feels like afternoon Mm -hmm. until about 9. That's... How I feel until it gets dark. Oh my goodness, it's hot. I mean, it's I, it's a little bit. I'm a coaching little bit. a baseball game tonight, and it's going to be just miserable, hot. But uh, somehow we'll survive. We'll soldier yeah. on, right? All right. Well, let me know how that goes. Okay. Um, Go bees. Let's let's talk about a number of things. First of all, two weeks from now, training yeah. camp. How about that? Underway. How about that? Yeah. It's gone by so quickly too. I mean, this. You think so? I think so. Yeah. It seems like just yesterday we were kind of. Looking around, shoulder to shoulder, darting our eyes in the building, like, is this really going to happen with D'Amico Ryan? Is this really a possibility? Because I was waiting for the the rug to get yanked out from under me, because the yep. the hope was so high, and it happened. And it was it came to be, and that everything since has been pretty awesome. It's been and flying I'm, along. It really has. It really yeah, has. I I think you're right. But then you look back and you think, geez, it's been a while since we've seen the Texans play mm-hmm. a game, mm-hmm. right? It was against the Colts, and I know everything is completely different now. The world has changed. And I can't wait to see that changed world when they start the preseason August 10th. So that's not that far away. That's less than a month from now Mm -hmm. when the Texans take on the New England Patriots on the road. You're going to see it on ABC 13 and hear it right here. So we can't wait for that. We also can't wait for the regular season. And among the games, the J.J. Watt Day, when Watt will be inducted into the Ring of Honor here and yesterday, a little bit of information came down from him and others that he'd be making the Wheaties box cover. Monstrous. And you very astutely, right after that news comes out, you're walking mm-hmm. by the desk and you do the, the point thing with your uh, nine-foot arm and you, <laughs> you say, who's the first person you think of when you think of Wheaties boxes? And Mary Lou Retton, the Houstonian, came to mind because, hey, uh, seven-year-old Andy Doherty was – all about Mary Lou Retton in 1984 winning the gold and shortly thereafter she was on the Wheaties box so easily she's the choice for me so seven-year-old Andy Doherty Mm -hmm. was seven-year-old Andy Doherty aware that the Russians were not at that Olympics oh yeah of course I was but still you know it it didn't diminish things and I didn't matter oh yeah I was because it was in LA it was our Olympics Carl Lewis it was a great Olympics first Olympics I remember yeah I I mean I, I watched every minute of it seemed like so because you know you're home from school and yeah yeah i was checking it out and loved it see i'm older than you so my first olympics i remember was 72 i don't remember as a kid the hostage situation right i did not i don't remember seeing jim mckay in the famous broadcast of what went down i don't remember seeing that i remember mark spitz yeah so i guess my parents were like don't watch this or whatever Mm -hmm. once they knew what was going on with the hostages uh but i remember 76 and yeah, Olga Corbett and Nadia Comaneci later. Bruce Jenner. Uh, Bruce Jenner. And speaking of. That's who your choice. And it's a, that's a legit choice. Your first Wheaties memory or the, the enduring Wheaties box memory is Bruce Jenner. That's a legit one, man. It's like, so legit. Yeah. People don't understand. Kids today don't understand. I know you have Caitlyn Jenner and you have the Kardashians and everything that led into him becoming her yeah. and all of that. But back in the day, Bruce Jenner was as big as it got. That was... 
Olympian giant athlete making his way into the mainstream. Yeah. And the Wheaties box is a big part of that. It's yeah. always been a big part of that. And think about it. So he won that gold in 76. I didn't see it. I mean, I was born a year later. Yeah. But he won that gold in Montreal in 76. And really, for about the next decade, because of that gold, you'd see him in stuff. He'd be in the you know the Battle of the Network Stars yeah. type of competitions. And he was hailed as the greatest athlete alive because he'd won the decathlon. You know, yeah. That used to be, you win that, you're the best athlete around. Right. So he was everywhere. And... You know, I remember hearing about him and knowing about him. I think, wasn't he on, like, That's Incredible all the time or something? Probably. I think he was on a lot of TV shows, and he yes. might have guest starred on The Love Boat and stuff mm -hmm. like that. By the way... He was just out there. You know, you knew about, you knew who he was, even if you hadn't seen him do what he did on the on the track. Side note, The White Lotus, the HBO show, Right. that's The Love Boat. Let's is call it? it I've never it seen it. It's so. The Love Boat okay. in a hotel. Very advanced. Uh-huh. Much different themes. Yep. It's the love boat. Okay. With you have the some murder involved on occasion. The, What's that? You have the bartender that's always, you know, doing Not quite, guns. but you have characters that come up, and it's not year to year also. They'll reset. I don't know where the next one's going to be, but I digress. Um, Tiger Woods has been on Wheaties. I mean, the list goes on and sure. on of athletes who have been on the Wheaties box. Michael Jordan, of course, Larry Bird. Uh, Jesse Owens was on a Wheaties box. Now, as if you Google search the Wheaties box with athletes... And then you go to images, you don't know what's real and what's not. I have a Caitlyn Jenner on Wheaties. I don't know right. if they did that. <laughs> uh, I don't know if they really did George Costanza. Probably not on a Wheaties no. box, but I have an image of that. So there's a lot of stuff out there that's not legit. Simone Biles, though, I think she was legit on a Wheaties box. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure, man. She's the greatest gymnast of all time. So why, why wouldn't she? Yeah, be? yeah, she's the best. Totally. And she's Houston. Uh, so Watt and his brother will be on it. Here's the next question. Do you ever eat Wheaties anymore? You know, I've not, mm -hmm. but it's not, it's not been a conscious decision yeah. not to. Nothing it's, just, against, it's nothing personal against Wheaties, yeah, right? Yeah, I'm a bagel or banana or pure protein bar guy isn't just because it's easier. Isn't Wheaties basically raisin bran without the raisins? It's exactly what it is. Okay, yeah. that's exactly yeah. what it is. Exactly I want the raisins, Yeah, me too. Nature's I've had fruit. raisin bran. Definitely, I've, you know, Liam, my ten-year-old, likes raisin bran. For so sure, I'll, raisin I'll chime bran in. is awesome. I add raisins to it. I want raisin bran on steroids. I want extra raisins in my raisin bran. Love raisin bran. Cinnamon Toast Crunch, though, is uh, the leader in the clubhouse right now. Up there with Cinnamon Life. Those are my favorites. Wait, right now you'll have that? No, you every won't. once in a while. Every once in a yeah, while. Yeah, every once. Well, in the while. kids have it. They, yeah, inhale. All-time favorite cereal. Cinnamon Toast Crunch. Life. Wait a minute. Life. And, yeah, Cinnamon Life. Yeah. Is that Mikey the one likes that it. Mikey likes yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Life? Absolutely. What about Captain Crunch? What about good ones? We didn't really we didn't really get to eat those. See, Captain Crunch was a up. binge yeah. for my brother and I. We knew that if the box showed up, it was going down. Fruit that Loops box is good. box was going to be completely inhaled by us. Our mouths would be scraped into oblivion by the sharp sugar Captain Crunch pieces and you get the crunch berries going, it's lights out. Only time growing up we got to eat the sugary cereals was when we Went on vacation where we'd drive to either Florida or down to Port Aransas or something, and my mom would pack those little individual ones. Oh, yeah. And I guess Ooh. they only sold the sugary ones. So, yeah, that was those are good. Those were treats. Those were Fruit vacation Loops are good cereals. Too. Yeah. Apple Jacks. Apple Jacks. Oh, so good. So I good. like Apple Jacks. Mm -hmm. I would have Apple Jacks today. Another kind of, you know what? The pecan sandy, pecan. Pecan, yeah, be careful, dude. You're I know. <laughs> Here's the deal I would never say pecan incorrectly when i'm just talking about the nut mm -hmm. but with this with the cookie 
That's what I called it as a kid, so I was wrong. Anyway, uh, next item of very important business we have to take care of is your last week's In the Lab episode, which focused on if movie characters could be real football players. Right. Just football players, right? Not actual athletes. Yeah, who would you Um, add to the 23 Texans who was a football character in a movie? And I'm not talking about the best acting performance or the most memorable. I'm talking about the guy who was the best on the field. And there's no question, there's no challenge... Mm-hmm. To Bobby Boucher, of course, he's not. phenomenal. But here's the thing: you had to to make that interesting. I believe now that the episode has been over for ten days, and I'm sure it was great. I've heard some of it actually on this program a week ago. Right. But you cannot have Bobby Boucher as an eligible selection here. You can't have Teen Wolf as an eligible in a basketball situation. You can't have supernatural kind of things going on here. You uh, have to have like a real athlete, like Willie Beeman, or real athlete, real fictional athlete, not, you, not somebody familiar, with superpowers. Are you familiar with sports talk radio and what ifs? <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> or perhaps but I'm giving fiction you the, and the I'm movies give, in general. <laughs> I'm giving you the rules here. Like if you had to have an actual. You know, realistic, it could be possible. Rod Tidwell, for instance. Well, he made it. Yeah, he. we added four, okay? okay. And that we suspend all disbelief in this thing. So Boucher's right. in there. Rod Tidwell's in there. We added Alvin Mack from the program, which you can you could put some guys in front of him, maybe. Yeah. But you know who our fourth was? Who? Full suspension disbelief, Chewbacca. You got to put Chewbacca in there. He could play both ways. How do you know Chewbacca is going to be able to catch the ball? Is he a tight How end or a left tackle? Catch, he could play both, and he could play defensive <laughs> end. I asked this question of uh, Mike Leach, rest in peace, about 15, 16 years ago when I was hosting his TV show. Mm-hmm. And, you know, an emailer said, "Who? What would Chewbacca play?" If and he's it, Leach did that thing where he popped his hat up on his head a little bit, and he had hair. It was like a coonskin cap yeah. sometimes. It, he wouldn't get it cut. He popped it up and kind of scratched his temple. He's like, that's, that's a really good question. You know, you'd want to take advantage of his strength and size and certainly his endurance, and you'd want to play him both ways. So you'd probably play him at left tackle and defensive Wait, end. wait, wait. When is the proper time to ask a head coach <laughs> this question? You could ask that guy anything. After a victory? This was in on a Wednesday after a practice. So they okay. were – it was kind of like their Thursday practice because – They must have been doing well that year. They I do, can't oh, imagine yeah, yeah. asking Bill O'Brien in 2017 yeah. toward the end of the season, Bill, would Chewbacca be a good <laughs> football player? I bet you could pull it off, though, in your Monday night show with him. You know, when you guys kind of. If he's of in the right mood. The, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. around this time of year, every year we did a show called Everything But the Texans with him. Right. And that was a great show. That was fun because it was off season Bill and no sure. pressure yet. And he loved talking about other stuff. So that might have been too silly for him. It might not have worked for him, but he would have addressed it. Yeah. I, I don't like Star Wars. I don't know what he would have said. <laughs> Drew, thanks a lot. Good to be with you. And Drew will be with us again next because in the lab, our special segment is coming up, and it's going to be good. It involves the All-Star game. It involves a famous two-sport athlete, the best ever, and a local connection. It's next here on Texans Radio. All right, final segment here on Texans Radio with In the Lab being featured. That's the podcast that you can get on iTunes, Spotify, HoustonTexans.com, the Texans app, all of it. And it features John Harris and Drew Doherty. And in this episode, they talk about the All-Star game, Bo Jackson, Ronald Reagan being in the booth in the 89 game with Vin Scully. There's a local connection. Take it away, guys. What got me thinking about Houston connections with football and baseball, and it happened again. The other night, the Astros take a 
guy in the first round out of the University oh, yeah. of Nebraska, Bryce Matthews. Yeah. But before that, he's from Atascacita. He was the QB, our own Kenyon Green, a first-rounder of his own, or in his own right, from Texas A&M. Played with him, blocked for him up front. And uh, Coach Stump was really, really excited about it, and he was tweeting about it. Tascacita representing. But it just got me thinking about there's lots of connections, football, baseball, all through history, because if you're good enough to make it to Major League Baseball, typically you're a phenomenal, phenomenal athlete, and vice versa. If you're good enough to make it to football, uh, uh, to the NFL, you're probably good at other stuff too. But over the years, there have been many great, great baseball players who played football and football players who played baseball. Mike Hampton is somebody who comes to mind, former athlete. Yeah, yeah know, Mike Hampton was one. He was a he was an incredible football player. Um, apparently, you know, one. It's funny as you started saying that, Drew. The one player that that immediately came to mind, and when you see the picture of him, you immediately know who it is. And he's playing for Springwoods High School. He's wearing a number sixty six, and he's got this big old neck roll. And it was the rocket, Roger Clemens. Roger Clemens. And, you know, it, it, it was interesting because I, you know, as I was, I was growing up and I, I lived in the Southwest side down in Richmond Rosenberg. Mm-hmm. I just, I just jumped, I, I just went from one sport to the next. So my dad did, uh, my dad played all three sports. So I followed what he did and I wouldn't have known what to do with my time if I didn't go from football to basketball to baseball. I mean, I, I just, I wouldn't have known what to do. Um, and so, I remember talking to, you know, to coaches, even when I was at, at that age and they would say, um, you know, they would say to me, you know, look, basketball makes you a better football player. Football is going to make you a better baseball player. Baseball is going to end up making you a better basketball player. I mean, imagine being on the mound and you're pitching and, you know, you're in this, you know, back in high school, you play seven innings, seven innings, you got to close it out so you can win the district or, you know, versus, you know, having to knock down two free throws with five seconds left in a big game at, at Bay City. Uh, which are all things that at some point I had to do when I was, um, you know, when I was growing up. So I think each sport makes you better in the other sport. And I think that's been lost for some reason on parents. Like, no, 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 you got to start on a travel ball right now and they got to play baseball and oh, I'm too small, to, you know, too small to play football and all that. No, 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 man. There, there have been so many. Um, if you go back and you just look at the, the, the draft picks, um, that have, have been, you know, whether it's from Houston or otherwise, and you look at, oh, yeah, this guy was good in football and basketball, um, football and wrestling. But, you know, football and baseball is a pretty natural combination, especially uh, in this town and in this state. I mean, I don't think it's – I don't know. Some people want to argue with it because they're just being uh, confrontational and they're just, you know, being antagonistic. But the best football player in the NFL right now is Patrick Mahomes. And Patrick was a star in three sports. Yeah. But in particular, you know, baseball to go along with with football. And uh, it was always interesting to see what positions guys played when they played baseball versus playing, you know, and play football. You know, a lot of shortstops played quarterback. You know, that was just a natural transition. Well, you know, Mahomes pitched and played short and did some things. And you see that translate for him when he's on the field. You know, all those sidearm throws that he ends up making. I mean, those are all straight from you know, turning double play at shortstop. I mean, that's all, that's all that he's doing um, at that point, but he's the best player in the league and he comes from Texas having played football and baseball. And well, think about it. Now, Kyler Murray has had his struggles in the NFL recently and we know about that, but I mean, there's a pretty solid argument to be made that he's the greatest high school player in the history football wise. -wise, He was also drafted by the Oakland A's thought about playing for him. I mean, 
There's all sorts of football baseball connections. Ricky Williams, he played minor league baseball while he was a University of Texas football player. You know, I I guess near the end of his time with the Horns, he kind of quit the baseball route and went into football full time. You brought up Clemens a moment ago. He played there in the late 70s, early 80s for Springwoods and that's where my sister graduated in 1990. So she was about a decade after him. But yeah, I vividly remember she started uh, high school in the 86, 87 year. She's same year as you. That was her freshman year. So 86, Clemens in the right. Red Sox. Clemens was an MVP and a Cy Young Award winner, was in the World Series, pitched, I think, in the All-Star game here in Houston. And then he he had a contract dispute with the Red Sox. So Instead of going to spring training, he worked out with the Springwoods Tigers, just, you know, at Gessner and Hammerly uh, on yep. the over there. And I remember getting a napkin signed by him. I mean, I was a, I was a, and he came, he's, he's since come to Texans practices back in 13, I think 14, he was buddies with Shane Leckler. So yeah, he, uh, he was something else when well, he was a player. I heard now this is a legend. I might be wrong, but on his high school fo- baseball team, baseball team, I heard he was the third best pitcher on that team. There's a guy named Rick Lucan who pitched at Texas A&M and then would later pitch in the bigs for a few seasons with the Royals. And then Rainer Noble, I heard, was the second guy on that, that road yeah. rotation. Rainer was in, I think, made a triple-A with the Astros, and then he was a longtime University of Houston baseball That's coach. That's it, yeah. And I heard Clemens was the third guy, and he really took off once he went to San Jacinto when Wayne Graham, yep. become the rice head coach, Right. Wayne Graham was the head coach at San Jack. So I, I, I mean, could be wrong in this. So there could be some old timers that uh, correct me on that. But that's what I heard. About yeah, it, it's not surprising in, in some sense. We've seen a lot of there've been a lot of players through through time that have been, you know, late bloomers or, you know, whatever the case might be. And you know, like you said, San Jacinto, you know, a lot of players, especially San Jacinto back then. San Jacinto back then was, was not a bad choice. I mean, that was a powerhouse. Andy Pettit so, through a few few years after Clemens. Yeah, you know that same uh, the same lockout. I was at Lamar Consolidated at the time, and I was still in basketball. We were still fin- we were finishing up our our season. We had gotten to the playoffs, and so uh, I hadn't been out there yet. But my dad was assistant uh, baseball coach, and so um, he's like, "Well, I wish I bet you wish you were done with basketball." And I'm like, "Why? We're in the playoffs. It's like the first time school's been in the playoffs in a long time, Dad. What do you what do you mean?" He goes, "Well, have you been out of baseball? You'd have seen and met Jim Deshays." I would have been like, oh, man, because he came out. I guess he lived in Pecan Grove. Really? Um, which fed the our school, which is where I lived. I think that's where he lived because there were a few Astros that lived out there. Bill Doran. Uh, Bill Doran. And Bill Doran. Doran. I always get Doran. that one. Bill Doran. Yeah. Billy Doran. I have to Doran. say that a lot sometimes. What? What a player. Yeah. He was a, he was solid. Good, solid. Yeah. He lived right in a corner uh, of where I would turn. Um, we always had to come up to this one stop. He lived right in the corner right there. We always we always wanted to go say, hey, but we never really wanted to bother him. But I guess Jim Deshays lived out there, too. And so when Mark consolidated, it made the most sense. And he called up uh, our coach and said, hey, can I come out and work out? So, yeah, he threw to our catchers. And at that time, I caught a little bit. So I would have probably caught him for a little bit. So that oh, would have been fun. I didn't get to do that because we were playing playing basketball. So, you know, you play all these sports and you miss out on a few things. But, you know, football and baseball are such a – there's such a match because – well, football, you play in the fall, mm-hmm. and then baseball, you can start here in Texas in January. So, you know, you could take, like, Kyler Murray would take it all the way to December 20th, 21st with, with Allen. They won three state 
state championships. Then you just go right to baseball um, after that. So, uh, and, and by the way, you, I know you didn't mean to do this, but Kyler Murray wasn't just a draft pick for the Oakland A's. He was the number eight overall pick. Yeah, yeah. For the Oakland A's. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> wasn't he was a stud. Yeah. He was a he was a stud in baseball. And you know, I wonder. He's always kind of talked about whether he would go back at some point. I think it might be easier to go the other way. And we've seen, you know, we've seen players over over time do that. And I used to say this when I got to, I remember when I was going through two days in college and yes, it was Rhode Island. I get it. But two days back in the eighties and nineties, you know, even before that, when there were three days, but I, I, they were hell. They were absolute hell. You would wake up in the morning. It's just, it's, it's just a, it was a brutal, brutal day for two weeks, sometimes three weeks. And so there were so many times where you just like, I want it to stop. I want a day off. And I never remember getting a day off for some reason. We just went and went and went. And so there were a lot of players at that time that would have been drafted in baseball. Mm-hmm. And they're like, no, 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 no. I'm going to go play football at such and such a school. And then they would get there for two days and be there for a week and be like, hey, wait, you're offering money to play baseball? Hey, I'll see you football. I'm going to play baseball. And the famous one was Chris Wanky. But there were a lot of them that would get in two days as freshmen and be like, nah, I'm I'm done with this, bro. I'm done. <laughs> and then they would go sign a big contract, play baseball. It wouldn't work out. John David Booty was another one to play at LSU. Same kind of thing. Signed kind of later in the summer after they arrived, you know, for football camp. Like, no, 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 this isn't for me, man. And then realized couldn't hit the curveball or couldn't throw a curveball and came back to football a little bit later. And then at that point, they were able to appreciate two days and football because that was what they had. They didn't have the option at that point. But it's a natural football, baseball combination, especially in this state and this city, because you can play both mm-hmm. and you can play, you know, you know, you, there's so much more travel baseball and things like that. But, you know, look, there's so many natural athletes in this city, in this area, in the state that can play football and turn around and end up being a great baseball player at the same time. And then you get drafted in one, like, okay, well, what are you going to do? You're drafting one, but you got a scholarship in football. What are you going to do? And so, there are a lot that have that tough decision to make. And to me, if I was a parent, I would say, go play baseball right now. Get that out of your system. Realize whether you can hit a curveball or not. If you can, man, you'll make a lot of money. And you don't have to put your body through everything that football players have to go through. But if you realize you can't hit a curveball or you can't throw one, then you can come on over to football. There's always a spot for you in football. And I've seen, I've seen that happen many, many times. Guys like Roger Clements found out how to throw a curveball and find out how to throw a 97, 98 mile hour fastball, you stay in baseball, you're good. You're good. But if not, there's always room for football. Come on. Uh, okay, two more things. You brought up Jim Deshays. Jim Deshays was a rookie in 1986, pitched really, really well for the Astros. David Delotti, longtime oh, yeah. radio personality on in sports, piped in baseball guy. He said, because Jim Deshays did not pitch in that 1986 playoff series against That's the right. He said Keith Hernandez years later told him, told Delotti, why didn't the Astros pitch to Shays? We he would have been a, a nice change up to the guys that were the Scots, the Neppers, the Nolan right. fans that they were pitching. So interesting there. I wish Jim DeShays would have pitched in that series. And then you brought up the uh cross training with football. I saw it with my own two eyes this spring on the baseball field. My little guy Ollie, who was seven years old at the time. He played flag football last year, and yeah. every start of flag football practice, they would run the snake drill. You'd have a player here, you'd have a player here, a line of cones, and then a line across. One guy has the ball, hut. They run like this, and then mm-hmm. 
One guy tries to pull a flag. One guy tries to get get out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's lots it's a of good tackling drill too. Yeah, it's a good tack- tackle tackle football drill. Great shake and bake drill. Yeah. Ollie was on first. You know, is a runner on first, and there's a ball hit to second, and the second baseman picks it up. All he has to do is turn and tag Oliver because it was it was a quick grounder. Oliver was dead to rights. Ollie shake and bake. Yeah. It bobbles the ball. Ollie zips past him. And so uh, I was standing for him. I I was coaching and the guy who coached them in flag football was sitting next to me and I hit him on the elbow. I was like, snake drill, dude, snake drill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, All right. It's awesome. Good cross training for both sports. I love it. Cross training. Great cross training. Right. Let's now when he runs over the catcher, I'm going to be a little worried about that. (laughs) Then I'll be a little worried. Yours truly did that once. I didn't mean to. I was actually trying to slide. I got caught in between sliding and diving. And you know, or, or I'm sorry, standing up and diving, and I got caught in between, and I nailed this kid at a at a tournament in Arkansas. Mm-hmm. And I knocked him. I I broke his nose. I didn't mean to. We go out for the next inning, and I realize the kid's out of the game, and I'm like, "Well, what happened?" He's like, "You broke his nose." I'm like, "Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Just I guess I just made a tackle. I didn't mean to, but yeah, I I I got caught in between. It was like dive, and I and I just got caught in between, and I just happened to catch him perfectly. I didn't get thrown out because I was I was trying to avoid it. But, yeah, when he runs over the catcher, then you probably should start to worry a little bit, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Teensy tiny bit. All right, let's finish with this Twitter question of the day. Who is your all-time favorite NFL player that had at least a little bit of a career in another professional sport or collegiate sport? Andre Johnson, happy birthday. Oh, yeah. Is the Big East 100-meter sprint champ. So – we got to talk. When we can talk about incredible. When we can talk about Andre, yeah, big bad muscular Andre Johnson. So, since it's Andre's birthday, and Andre Johnson belongs in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Yes. Very in five words or less, describe why Andre Johnson belongs in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. He was him for an extended period of time. And wait, you said five words or less. I go in. You got it. I go, I go a little further. No, I, I think when you go to the Hall of Fame, you need a period of dominance. Mm-hmm. And I felt like in the NFL from like 05 through 09 or 10, it was Megatron, Larry Fitzgerald, and Andre Johnson. Yeah. They were the standard for that long. That long. Those three. Um, and, yeah, there were other guys that, you know, would be invited into the club at time. You know, Anquan Bolden would find his way in. Torrey Holt found his way in a little bit. You know, Marvin Harrison still had a little bit left at that point, but it was really those three receivers for a good five to six years. Dominant, dominant in the league, and the numbers back it up. When you have a period of dominance like that, you need to go into the Hall of Fame no matter what the numbers say. Three different seasons with 1,500 yards or more, and then a a fourth with 1,400-plus yards. Yeah. Plus, he's 11th all-time career receiving yards. He's on that list. The 10 guys ahead of him? Seven are in the Hall of Fame. The other three belong in the Hall of Fame as well, but only two, Randy Moss and Jerry Rice, have more catches per game and yards per game than Dre out of that 11. All right, there it is in the lab feature. There's more to it. Check it out on iTunes, Spotify, HoustonTexans.com, and the Texans app with Drew Doherty and John Harris. That's going to do it for the show tonight. Thank you, Jace, for producing. Have a great evening. Go Texans.